BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back to the Schmo Zone, episode number 87. I'm Dave Schmolenson, a.k.a. The Schmo. My co-host is... Helen Yee with Helen Yee Sports. And today's guest is one of the most brilliant minds in mixed martial arts. He's the co-host of Morning Combat, which is also up for nomination for Best MMA Programming. Mm -hmm. He's Luke Thomas. He's on CBS Sports. He's on Showtime Sports. He's everywhere. I'm here now. I'm on Schmo Zone, so happy to be here. Hello, Helen. Hello, Dave. Can I call you that? Is, it, is that okay? That's okay. I'm what not. You, is that what you? What do you prefer? Uh, you know, I prefer anything. Okay. You know, because my last name growing up is Schmolenson, yeah. so Schmol Schmoly was always like a nickname. Everyone had so many different names for me. So if you call me Dave Schmo David, doesn't make a difference. I'll know who you're talking. Well, to. I'm happy to be here. So thank you for having me. Very generous introduction. I don't know if it's quite true, but I certainly am the host of Morning Combat. How about that? So, or one of them anyway. Now you're a busy man. A lot going on. A lot of fights, right? Mm-hmm. So I think we should start off with what's going on for tomorrow. The weigh-ins were today, UFC 269. What did you make of everything that took place? Because one of the fights is off. I didn't hear which one of the fights is off. The Matt Schnell versus Alex Perez. That's disappointing. Who who failed there? Ba basically what happened after Matt Schnell. Did you guys go this morning? We yeah, were there we this were morning. There. And then uh, are you going to be at the ceremonial stuff afterwards? Uh, going to try. Going to try. Yeah. I mean, you're a busy man. Yeah. You're everywhere. You got Showtime crew here behind the scenes bit, filming and stuff. Uh, but uh, no, so right after he weighed in, you know how he's on stage and at the apex, you walk behind and then you kind of go back to the waiting holding area? Mm -hmm. Well, he never made it all the way back there. We heard some kind of loud coughing and yeah. stuff like that. It's kind of, then it was kind of silent for a while. Then you saw some, you know, medical professionals rushing back there. I know the Nevada State Athletic Commission came back there and then mm. everyone was just kind of waiting and rumbling and, uh, he kind of never made it back out there. Okay. Well, that's a disappointing. I like Matt Schnell a lot, actually. Um, oh, well. All right. It's so still, the card is still ridiculous. It's so. fantastic. It's fantastic. Although we were really were looking forward to seeing Leon Edwards and Orhe Mospital fight. Yeah. It's kind of been a forgotten storyline this week, yeah. right? It's funny because you know, I, I use, I don't know what you guys use, but like I'll start my day a little bit on uh, bestfightodds.com just because you can just see the lay of the land and what, what's coming and what's not. And you can still see there, are, I guess, one place hadn't taken the odds off for Edwards versus Masvidal. So it was still part of that card on that website. And I was like, shit, I forgot that that fight was even on that card. Can you imagine if that was part? Of and honestly, I'll say this. Like, you guys, I'm sure you're feeling a little bit more than I am maybe because you're a little bit closer to it. But, like, I feel like this is the first time, you know, Poirier outside the Habib fight, outside of the, the Connor fights. Let's see how popular he is now. But if you had thrown Jorge and Leon on this card, dude, that was the perfect amount of spice to, like, give it exactly what it needed, you know? I 100% agree yeah, with that, too. That's kind of what we were talking about yesterday after the press conference, too. Imagine those two at the press conference. Oh, I know, because you had – I did watch the presser. You had Cody and Sean O'Malley, Sean O'Malley getting after it a little bit. Yeah. And, dude, the, the face-offs were intense between Dustin and Charles, but it's like – it's. It's your two favorite guys. Like right. they're just not. They don't have that storyline. They, they're not. They're not the type of guys to trash talk and spice things up just to get the extra clicks and stuff like that. They are respectful martial artists. Right. And unfortunately, you don't see enough of that. But <laughs> right. but as you know, in today's day and age too, like these storylines, spicing it up. You know, Sean O'Malley getting the clown color hair. That stuff sells. That stuff gets clicks. It always has, man. I, I was in when I first started watching the sport. I was a little bit in denial about what made things work. And obviously, some things have changed a little bit. But in general, man, it's like, dude, people are, they're not necessarily interested in who is the best fighter. What they're, as my phone goes off, right as I put it on uh, silent. The argument is, or the, the reality is, it's, uh, they do care a little bit. It's not unimportant to them. Relevant combat sports is important. But what they really care about is star power and how that interacts with other star power and what kind of celebrities attached to it, what kind of 
to your point, sort of narrative storyline, that really is, if you actually look at what drives the market, that's typically what drives the market the most. Yeah, more of the entertainment aspect of it. I know. It's not, it's, it's, it's certain methods of it are new, but that reality is, I hate to admit it, but it just is true, you know? That's what makes kind of like the Sugar Show, Sean O'Malley, such an intriguing character in today's mixed martial arts, too. Because obviously, you know, during the heyday of the UFC really rising in popularity, the media tours, the Ronda Rouseys and the Conor McGregors went on. And then climbing the ranks of still fighting the best of the best. And you have a guy like Sugar Sean O'Malley, you know, the self-proclaimed unranked champion. The one getting the pop at these press conferences, the one that's, I wouldn't say necessarily cherry-picking his opponents, but he's not really fighting the climb that he needs for the popularity match that he has outside of the octagon. And it's just an interesting state to see where we're at specifically with the UFC. He is, um, I was, the last time I left Vegas, no, last time I was here was for Canelo. So I guess it must have been the July fight. Was he on that Connor card in July? Yes. I think he was, right? And I remember at the airport, he was actually at my next gate over. And we were at the both of the gates at the same time. I didn't bother him. I just let him be because, dude, he had a line of people to the fucking bathroom just wanting to. People are like, I'm late for my flight. Take a picture with me. Like, there was this horde of people. And to your point, like, who's a – okay, he had the Cheeto verified, but he lost that fight. Yeah. And so the other one's like, who did he beat to get here? Um, dude, you say, like, he didn't cherry pick. I know what you mean. I'm with you in the sense that, like, I don't think he's avoiding guys like, ooh, that's a tough fight. I don't want that. But he is cherry picking quite nakedly about like I'm going to do those things when I'm commensurately paid. We should sort of say he is cherry picking, but not, not in a way where it anyway signifies fear of challenge. He has this sort of self marketing idea that wants to tie into pay, and I don't know if it's going to pay off, but it's that's that's the reason for the season, man. Well, he's not shy also by saying, you know, I don't want to fight a guy who's just going to lay on me for 15 minutes, right. too. He wants to fight a guy that he knows is going to stand up and bang and strike and make an exciting fight for the fans, too. It's like, dude, Nate, Nate Diaz cherry picks. Where did that get him? To the top of the fucking game. That's yeah. Can I curse? Is that okay? 100%. Yeah, okay. Uh, it's an MMA podcast. I mean, if you can't, I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, what are we doing? But you get the idea. Like, those guys, dude, when I was covering the, the game in, like, 08 – it was like the UFC's tough matchmaking was like an automatic call and response. Here's the toughest fight. Okay, we're going to take it. Everyone had that Cowboy Cerrone. I remember you, you, you probably interviewed Jeremy Stevens more times than I have. But I remember I interviewed Jeremy Stevens one time, and I was like, did you ever consider – I forget what fight it was. It's like, did you ever consider like declining this for a better opportunity because there was something in the news, whatever it was, that was a, a more lucrative op- offer? He's like, I, I, I've never been in the business of declining fights. I didn't know we could do that. You know what I mean? Like – that was what his era of MMA fighters did. Now you're seeing guys being like, wait a second, I'm trying to maximize my time here. Yeah, I'm going to make some clever choices. But again, I don't think Diaz or O'Malley is afraid of anybody. I think they're just they're, they're playing the cards a little bit differently than they used to. So what do you think is the reason why we're seeing more and more of this happening? The guys who are a little bit more cherry picking? Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, in the way that we've discussed, not the way that it's sort of assumed negatively to be. Uh, I think because it quite obviously for the right situation, it works. And it's the only real leverage you could possibly have. Like, you know, the market forces that dictate what you can pull from UFC negotiations are they're not super favorable. But the one thing you might have is um, you have a lot of fighters who want to get after you. Some are going to make more money. You're going to make the UFC more money with better ones. There's a kind of a way to kind of pull UFC along at this point to a much higher degree of um, uh, success for you. I would also say, dude, there's a a better awareness of today's fighters being like, I got to get in, make money, and get out. You know this as well as I do, dude. How many times have you had an off-the-record conversation with someone's manager or somebody's coach who has told you that this A-level fighter is not here for a long time? Do they want to make a few big, giant paydays, and they want to get the fuck out? It's not the way the boxing game works. Do they want to maximize that run to the nth degree? It is the opposite in MMA. They can't wait to get off the stove, you know? And so I think people are just making choices about that orientation in a way. It used to be like, I'm going to prove... I'm the best ever. Dude, I started covering MMA when people were doing it like, now these fuckers are getting paid for it. I did this when this was free. Like you, That was a thing you had to entertain. And now it's they're just, they're, just, they're just smarter about, the I think, the long-term realities. I mean, the reality, too, behind it is this sport's not even 30 years old. No. We've been alive. Just imagine, like, the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball at the turn of the 20th century and the heyday when that was originating. 
we are still in an era and a time alive where it's just a complete evolution of this sport. Like people, when they're first training mixed martial arts, they're going to all these different gyms. I have my boxing class here, mm -hmm. my Muay Thai class here, you know, jujitsu this day there. Now you have gyms and teams doing everything all at once. And you have a situation where people are growing up. I want to be a mixed martial arts fighter. Sure. You know, this is, you're having athletes that train from this at a younger age. We are still seeing the evolution of this sport grow right in front of our eyes. And what it looks like now might look something completely different five, 10 years from now. It's, it's totally true. And I, I also think there's probably, I don't know how folks feel about it, but I can tell you that years ago, even 10 years ago, but especially 15, MMA and boxing did not have significant crossover at all. And now these guys are trying to make money off each other any way they can. Which some of them work, some of them don't. But uh, I also think MMA fighters are kind of watching boxers a little bit and like, how are they getting around it? And their business model is different. We all know the stories. But some of the lessons about how to do this right, how to promote yourself, like Nate Diaz, like if you don't take care of your interests, no one else is going to. You're starting to see some of that bleed over as well. But are the guys on the lower level, like say the opening cards, like for example, next week for the on the showtime for Jake Paul, Tyron Woodley too, is it comparable to what the lower level guys of the UFC and stuff are, are getting at too? Or how does that scale work? Because obviously we know at the top it's different. Yeah. Um, but how is it like if you're just – you know, you're you're six and one, or you're you're just trying to get in. Yeah, so I I would have to see the card to make. I, I've not seen the full part of. The, I'll be candidly admit I have not looked at the full uh, Jake Paul Tyron Woodley card, other than I know that Tommy Fury is out and uh, and Tyron's going to be in. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, beyond that, I've not paid a ton of attention. So without knowing those specifics, what I would say as a general rule, let me give a recommendation to your uh, viewers and your listeners. There's a guy by the name of John Nash. He goes by at Hey Not the Face on uh, Twitter. Has done probably the most extensive work around this, and he has looked at the economic of this. The basic idea is that there are certainly, look, there's going to be a ton of different cases for what if you're a high-level pro who has 15 fights, what if you're a mid-level pro who's 20 and 10 or whatever, if you've been in the game for a long time, are you with a big organization? There's going to be a lot of differences, but the general rule would be, and he has a graph where he charted all of these California uh, uh, payouts, what they have, and again, we don't know about bonuses, that could change the game to a degree, but basically what you find is that for anyone, let's say... I don't want to be too declarative, but certainly inside the top 15, top 20, to an extent the top 25, the pay is going to be pretty different between boxing and MMA. Prior to that, and even bleeding into that territory, you can find plenty of cases where MMA fighters make more. Um, it's just that for the sustained, um, su certainly for the super elite, and even for the good, it turns out that there's a pay discrepancy. But as we all know, I've seen a million boxing cards. I'm sure you have as well. And then UFC has raised these objections previously where Friday Night Fights was on. And you see guys in the main card making, this is true, like 500 bucks or something. Yeah, that's not even remotely comparable, obviously. I did want to circle back, though, to what we kind of opened up with, yeah. with Leon Edwards and Masvidal, too. It's like we talked about star power. We went into it. But if you're Leon Edwards and you're the UFC, like, really, what is next? I mean, because if I'm Leon, there's only two fights that made sense for me. It's this Masvidal fight. You had the backstory, you know, the three-piece in the soda. And then you have the championship rematch. You know, he fought Kamaru in 2015. Obviously, you say Kamaru is lapping people in the division. Let the second opportunity happen for Leon Edwards because it's been, what, six years since they fought, and he got to have the rematch with Colby. He got to have the rematch with Jorge. Mm -hmm. What would you do if you're if you're Leon? So let me ask first, are you confident that they're going to make a Masvidal and Colby tough season? Reasonably confident? I'm reasonably confident. Okay, so let's assume that that gets put into play. Those two are out of the question about what you're going to do. All right, so now you have Gilbert. Hamzat as a super wild card. That's that's whatever. And then you have uh, Leon. Now what are you going to do? Personally, I would say uh, it's a tough. Your call is a decent one because you could do Hamzat versus Gilbert. And to me, Gilbert would be um, not that Hamzat per se deserves it, but we all know the arguments for it. But Gilbert would be like the ultimate test for him. I mean, arguably too much of one, right? You could you could make a claim that you're throwing him to the wolves by doing that. But there is at least an argument to be made as well that, like, what he can do on the ground. And, by the way, Gilbert can wrestle, and he's nimble for the weight class, and he can strike, and he's got good experience. That's a way you could go, and then you could do Leon versus uh, Kamar Usman, too. I don't know how that would be very different, but you could do it. The other one you could do is, you know, you could do Gilbert versus Leon. It doesn't do good for Leon because that's a f super tough fight. And if Gilbert wins, you kind of have to give him another title shot at that point because what would be left for him except Hamzat, and you get the idea, but... That's, those are those are really your best options as far as I can tell. 
it's it's a matter of if Leon will accept it or not. Yeah. You know, he's he's been screwed over more than anybody you can argue right now. Totally. And by what if you're Leon, would you take the hum if he took the Hamza fight before, would you take it now? Mm, I don't know if I would take that now after the Diaz win. The Jorge one was perfect because you know, Jorge is obviously an incredible fighter, but uh, he is closer to 40 than 30. And I just think that Leon has a very difficult style to deal with. Not so much that he is, uh, you know, um, some overwhelming dynamic force, but his ability to control each moment and then win rounds, you know, he's next level with it. And I think that's a tough fight for a lot of folks. So he would have had, presumably, back-to-back wins over Nate and Jorge, again, in this theoretical con- construct. You know, you're going to get a title shot. You're going to have some decent popularity after that. And now that got taken from him. So, When you mentioned Hamzat, I was just thinking about a few weeks ago. Wasn't it rumored or weren't they trying to make him fight Nate? Diaz? Yes, they offered him to Nate. Nate. Nate confirmed it and was like, this is cherry picking. <laughs> so like, do I really think a Diaz brother is afraid of Hamzat? You might say that they're quite the opposite. You, some might argue that they're delusional about their chances to beat all these top level guys. Fine, say what you want. I don't in any way imagine he is afraid, but I do recognize he's like, okay, so what do I get if I win? A claim. You get a claim, but what do I get if I lose? Uh, you've given all the star power to this guy that most American fight fans still don't know. Versus if you take another high-level guy, you could get a claim if you win, but it could be, depending on the matchup, much better for me to get my hand raised. Purse might be bigger, like a Connor fight, and uh, I actually have a decent chance of winning this is what I mean. It's like, dude, a rational decision is to be like, why the fuck would I ever fight this monster from Chechnya slash Sweden? Like, fuck no. I'm going to go fight. A f- you mean I have a chance of making more money, getting more popularity, and winning by taking the X versus this? Why? This is not a difficult choice to make other than this idea of like, we have to fight the best all the time. I'm glad folks do it, but it's just not, it's not rational to expect everyone to. But if Nate Diaz really has one fight left on his deal and we don't see his next fight being, let's say, Conor McGregor and that trilogy fight, will we ever see that fight ever happen? You mean Nate versus Hamzat? N- sorry, no, Nate versus Conor McGregor. So who else would he fight if it's not Conor? Tony Ferguson. That's not a bad fight, right? Yeah. I mean, you've seen, here's the thing. You've seen Nate Connor twice. It's not like you didn't get it. You might not get it a third time. How much of a trade-off is it between Nate Diaz three uh, and Connor or Nate versus Tony? I'm not saying that they're equally interesting or equally as big in the market, but for one chance at Tony versus a third fight with Connor, there's something to be said for the Tony fight being fresh and new, competitive, interesting, equally potentially who knows what those two fucking savages could turn in, right? So I get the point. Fair enough. You may, in fact, lose it. That could be true. But it's hardly a substantial downgrade to include the Tony Ferguson fight as far as I'm concerned. Well, before we get into the transition, which seems pretty natural, going into next week and boxing the other side of things, because Nate Diaz is going to be involved with that because his buddy is fighting on that card, which could be setting up for a future Jake Paul boxing match. I do want to say that today's show is brought to you by Sheath Underwear. You are a veteran, the creator of Sheath Underwear is an Iraq War veteran, right. Robert Patton. You know, his balls would stick to his leg over there, overseas in the desert. He created sheath. These are the most comfortable pair of underwear I've ever had. I know you're an XL. I know your favorite colors are black and red. That's I got true. two pairs That is for amazing. You. Thank you, sir. Uh, they're great. I mean, it seems weird at first by, seem by separating them, but I'm telling you, just the comfort that you have there and the stretch and just you never want to wear another normal pair of it's underwear just, ever again. It's just an awkward uh, shark tank pitch. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, I've got a great idea for underwear. What's your idea? Well, let's talk about the human anatomy. Uh, <laughs> but I appreciate these. Thank you very much. Thank of you to course. Sheets. Thank you to, uh, what's the gentleman who works Robert there? Patton. Robert Patton, thanks for his service, and I will I will definitely. Yes. Another grown man is giving me underwear. You're not the first man to do that this year, by the way. Uh, okay. Men are gifting other men underwear. I've noticed that. It's a good gift. Use the promo code SHMO. Get 10% off when you visit sheathunderwear.com. Try it out. I'm going to. Thank you. Of course. Very generous. Uh, so going back to the, uh, I guess, next week, we're going to see you there, too. You're going to be working with Showtime, yep. for Showtime. Um and uh, we got Jake Paul, Tyron Woodley, too. How, how, what's your level of relative to what you were expecting with Fury? Well, you know, I think this is a tougher matchup than Fury. However, how much has Woodley been training? Because I know 
maybe at most two to three weeks after that first fight. Was it back in August in Cleveland when they fought? Mm -hmm. Jake was back in the gym. Jake was back working and developing. And um, we have a strong relationship with BJ Flores. And not too many people know this. I don't know if we announced this on the podcast, but a couple weeks before he boxed Nate Robinson, he did his training camp here in Las Vegas. He was training over in Bones, uh, Bones Adams, Prince Rex, Prince Rance Ranch Boxing Gym. That's what they call it. I know like Devin Haney and stuff like that. They've, mm. they've done some work there. And uh, we had watched a little bit of Jake Paul. I've known about it because we actually watched the Logan Paul KSI fight. We were involved a little bit with Eddie Hearn in the zone and watching him fight like Anderson Gibb, the YouTuber, just dwindling in it. We were at the right place, right time. I believe there was like UFC or boxing going on there. Maybe it was the Super Bowl in Miami. So we kind of made a pit stop over there, mm. just keeping an eye on what was going on because we had known that what their intentions were. It was they want to transition and make a name for themselves in combat sports, and that's exactly what they've been doing, the Paul brothers. So we went there a week or two before the Nate knocked out, and the one thing I noticed when we watched was the hand speed of Jake Paul. We mm. just watched a completely different kid from when he boxed the YouTuber, Gib, versus what he did to Nate Robinson. Sure enough, he knocked out Nate, turned his lights off. Yes, he's a pro basketball player, three-time NBA slam dunk champion, athletic background, but he wasn't a fighter. But the adjustments I saw him make and what he learned in that short amount of time told us, wow, this is no joke. He's going to get something done. Then obviously he had the Ben Askren. Then he had the Woodley fight. Um, my question to, is going to be how much training did Woodley, Woodley have? Because I think if Woodley had a full training camp, it'd be hard for me to bet against Woodley. Hmm. I... I mean, I don't think Woodley's ever at, in terrible shape or something like that. You know, and it's only eight rounds. And, you know, in fairness to the first fight, it wasn't like there was a ton of activity. Yes. Uh, I think that's pretty fair. Um, I don't know. The thing about Jake, it's like, I'm not sure what to say about this. Because the Fury fight to me actually would have been a little bit better for the rest of us. But I think that Jake and Tyron 2 is going to be better for them. Yeah. A, Tyron gets this other payday, whatever it's worth, which is great for him, obviously. Uh, but here's what I mean. It's like Tommy, I don't know if he's better or worse than Tyron, depending on the thing, but he, he's going to have a natively boxing style, and so that would have been somewhat clarifying about how far he can take this because I covered this guy years ago. I don't even know what he's up to these days. This was around 2011 or so. There was this dude. He was a um, all, what was he? He was an all-American linebacker for Michigan State, so he's a Spartan. He was a heavyweight boxer named Seth Mitchell, and uh, huge power, just monster, monster power. At least for the at the time he was coming up, and he there was a question like, can this guy get into boxing age 23, 24, and like make something of it? And he got like to twenty plus pro wins and was just clubbing these guys, and then he had to kind of fight real dudes, and the whole shit fell apart. Like the whole thing fell apart, and so. It's like with Jake. It's like, how good can he get? He might be able to get pretty decent. I mean, I'm sure he can beat a lot of fighters that we like. Maybe Tyron. We'll see. I don't really know. Um, but, at, like, at some point, like, do I think he can avoid what Seth Mitchell couldn't? I am very skeptical of that. At some point, he's going to need to, like, graduate to fight real dudes. And real dudes are going to they're gonna be a problem, you know? Well, when do you think that would happen? I don't know. Because this, this would be his, what, his sixth fight? Yeah. Sixth fight? Something like yeah. that? Yeah. Yes. So you're talking. You're not talking like you're not fighting real dudes till your fifteenth fight, or maybe something something along those. Lines. I mean, it really depends, obviously, but not anytime soon. So he's got a while to go. But like the dudes who are real dudes, who you're going to meet at fifteen and zero. They've been doing this since they were seven. I mean, they've got a they've got twenty years on you. You know, like it's it's not going to go well. It just it doesn't. Dude, boxing is fucking hard. You ever seen these MMA fighters? They talk about boxing training. They're like, dude, it's way easier. And they're right about something, right? The injury load is, okay, Fury broke his rib, but in general, you talk to MMA fighters who like dabble in boxing, like, oh my God, I'm so much healthier. Like, I don't feel so banged up all the time. And it, it's specific. I'm doing one thing all day, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, dude, here's what you got to respect. The dudes who you're doing this with, who are at the highest level, they're boxing contemporaries. They've been doing this shit since they were seven. Their timing and their accuracy is... Yes, it's a narrower, constrained universe of fighting. We don't have kicks. We don't have techno. But in that universe, their specificity is hard to contemplate. Dude, I always bring this up as an example. Look at the shot that Crawford landed on Kelbrook to put him out. 
I'm talking about Tom Brady hitting someone 50 yards downfield in the tiniest of windows. Dude, that doesn't happen unless you have 30 years under your belt of boxing, basically, and you're a sick athlete and everything else. So, like, you know, they're, they're different sports, obviously, but there's that, that reality should be respected, I think. So I do agree that if we did see the Tommy Fury-Jake Paul fight, it would legitimize everything in our circles, in the fight community, in both the boxing and, you can argue, the MMA world, too. But let's go back to Tommy Fury pulling out of this fight. What do you make of the situation? Because you know MMA fighters have fought with worse injuries. Mm -hmm. And and we did see the clips of Tyson Fury taking the heavy medicine ball right to the obliques, right to the ribs over and over again. He was here training in Vegas at one point for this fight camp with Shug Hill. Then he went back overseas and went to train with Tyson and John Fury, his father. Mm. I don't know basically all the whole scope of the picture. Maybe that's going to continue to come about over time but this can't help the reputation and the look of Tommy Fury in the eyes of the boxing community climbing and growing as a professional boxer and separating himself from the shadows of his older brother yeah the thing is I mean I feel bad for the guy on one level dude that's a big family literally and figuratively to like have to answer to and a name to preserve that's 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 tough, man. That can't be easy. Like, oh, your brother's the fucking heavyweight champion of the world. And not just that, like, a, a, an incredible one. Maybe the best one ever. One of the greats like, of yeah. all time. Like, it's like, dude, how do you live up to that shit? And, you know, and he's ugly. You're the handsome one. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, you're supposed to be, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's, it must be very difficult to be him. So on one level, I, I, I have genuine, in that sense, sympathy. On the other hand, I don't, you, you, I saw that shit too with the injury and, or the, the the medicine ball, and I'm like, you know, they're they're trying to like make a man out of him. Have you noticed that? Yeah. They're trying to like, you know, try to make him one of their own in that way. And uh, it, I, maybe he's built for it. Maybe he's not. I guess we'll see. The one thing I'll say about the injury though is, I, you're right. I have seen MMA fighters go in there with like insane injuries, but a that was a big fight for him. Like if you're not, dude, if you took a shot to the sternum, how much could he resist that without painkillers? I don't know. The other part is, folks forget this, Habib almost retired off a rib injury. Habib had a rib injury, he had broken rib, and it was so painful to him. This was 2012 or 13, maybe a little bit later than that. He uh, admitted it was so awful, he nearly quit the sport. Dude, that shit will bring you to your knees, man. It's hard to breathe, it's hard to move. I've separated ribs before. I've never broken one, and it was awful. It's what's it's what made Tyron Woodley stop the fight against Colby Covington. Right, right. So rib dude, injury. You're talking about like tough dudes who are saying no, thank you. Um, I, if that's what he, he had a broken rib, I, I'm I'm not in a position to to say much about it personally. Were you talking about more of like Jake? graduating or kind of fighting a quote more of a boxer in Tommy Fury? I, I thought it would be more interesting like well, not that I'm rooting for it I don't I, yeah I don't have a competing interest but like what would Jake have done if he had lost like cleanly well and and what happened that that that's a real question to ask for this fight too I mean if he loses this fight obviously it sets it up for the trilogy fight and sure. stuff like that so he's gonna have to get through Woodley in order one way or another whether he wins uh, this fight and moves on, or whether he loses and then has to win a trilogy, he's going to have to get through Tyrone Woodley to take the next chapter in his career. But it's it's really interesting to see what the direction they're go- going in because obviously they've chosen the MMA route of choosing MMA fighters and people with a wrestling background where mm-hmm. wrestlers have certain tendencies that they've had their entire lives when it comes to defense and when it comes to striking, how they've uh, matured in mixed martial arts, but it's going to be very interesting to see the path that they want to go on. And I kind of hinted at, you know, Nate Diaz because I know he's looking for names. I know he's looking to build the brand. And obviously, Nate's buddy is fighting on this card, and it just it, it they, it's a natural storyline for him to get to. And Nate only having one more fight left on his contract for the UFC. Also, what's kind of interesting is let me just throw this out here. If Nate were to have a fight in the UFC and get out of it relatively unscathed, whatever that means, like it doesn't, you know, it wasn't some devastating beating or something, not like Gaethje versus Ferguson. So now he's on a free market and a fight works out between him and Jake. Is it automatic? What that listen to the words I'm saying. Is it automatic that Diaz beats him ten times out of ten? I don't I don't think it's automatic. He beats him ten. You might favor him to win. And others gonna be like, oh my God, I can't believe he said. Listen to what I'm saying. If you're favoring Diaz to win, that's fine. Um and certainly as a combat athlete, his bona fides, Jake couldn't ever touch. I want to be very clear about that. But at this juncture, Jake's whole shit is um, luring people into thinking he is garbage and that some real athlete is going to come along and kick his ass and then 
It keeps not happening. Nate, I granted, is a different animal who has trained in boxing. We all know the story. I get it. I'm, I'm familiar with the facts. But I think that there's a lot of assumptions made about Jake that I guess we'll get more clarification here against Tyron, right? Maybe he looks bad and I'll go, oh, wait, no, Nate would tune him up. I'm just saying Nate might tune him up. Nate might even be likely to tune him up. I just don't know if it's automatic he tunes him up. I think the golden goose for him in this sport is Conor McGregor. I think that's what it's all leading up to, regardless of where Conor is Paul? For Jake Paul. He wants the Conor McGregor fight, 100%. But here's what I argue. It wasn't too long ago. I think it was a few months ago. Dana White, uh, at a after a fight night press conference, he was asked about Anderson Silva's performance. Anderson Silva had just won um, yeah. against uh, Julio Cesar Chavez. Oh, the Chavez. big one, yeah. Yes. And then Dana revealed and said, you know what? Maybe, you know, Anderson Silva should be looked at as the greatest combat sports athlete of all time. Yeah. And that got me thinking, and if I'm Jake Paul and I'm his team, I want the Anderson Silva fight. Because then you just had Dana White say Anderson Silva is the greatest combat sports athlete of all time. You get Jake Paul to fight him, and if he could pull it off and beat Anderson Silva, who if he would have just stayed as a professional boxer, I think would have been a world champion. Yes, I, do th- I agree with that. Yeah. You could argue if you're Jake Paul, hey. you're the greatest combat sports athlete. <laughs> I would say, I would say this. You'd run with that. I, it's an interesting proposition. I would say this. If I was managing Jake, and I'm not, but if I was, and someone came to us with the Anderson Silva fight, I would say no thank you. I think Anderson Silva fucks him up. Um, and I, I would say that's automatic. I think, it, but besides the fact that, you know, you're like, well, what's the difference between Nate and Anderson? Because uh, Anderson's obviously longer in the tooth in MMA. But... Uh, he's bigger, for one. I mean, he went up to 205 and was giving people problems. They're actually, like, similar sizes. Yeah, like, yeah. But, but I'm saying relative to Nate. Anderson yeah. oh. is, Anderson is well, much bigger. Yes. Well, what Jake and Anderson, I was saying, are relatively yeah. the same size. Yeah, and also just this new life that Anderson has shown has been, you know, I, I, did I see it coming? No. No, I did not, dude. It has been quite a surprise and a pleasant one at that. Amazing, right? Yeah. He's going to box again, too, right? Yeah, I'm told that his asking prices are high. That's the issue God. I'm told. <laughs> Um, and dude, if you're Anderson, fuck off, right? Like, yeah. if, if I'm Anderson Silva and I'm like, I don't even need to box. If I want to box, you're going to pay me exorbitant. I, I completely get it, but that may be limiting his options a little bit. But uh, good for him. I'm like, I hope he gets paid every dollar he's entitled to. And for the rematch, Jake versus Tyron, what does Tyron need to do to secure a win? Well, let's, I mean, the thing you raised earlier is really the X factor here, or the, the most important thing. To what extent is he in shape? I mean, boxing. You've probably played around a little bit, dude. If you've never hit a heavy bag for three rounds, you are going to be on your hands and knees when you're done. I don't care if you're a mountain biker. I don't care if you're in the weight room. Dude, that will hitting the heavy bag, forget having an opponent, will fuck you up. So what I would say is they have to make a calculation about what kind of rounds he can deliver. How much of this can you actually do? Maybe they'll just determine it's four good rounds in me before the problems begin. Do you put that at the front end and just say, let's put hurting on this guy with the rounds that we have? Do you do the Lomachenko and give away the first six rounds and then try to really put it on in the last six? Obviously, it'll be an, I think it'll be another eight-round fight, I suspect. Um, so, you know, you have some questions you have to ask about that, but that will define everything. What kind of cardio does he have, and how much can that impact the eight-round strategy? My guess is they're going to have to apportion the offense, but how they apportion it, I don't know. I'm really excited for the NBA versus NFLer, the Frank Gore, the future Hall of Famer, running back, who has hands? Who I what, Where did I read it from? It was reported that Chael Sonnen turned down that fight with Frank Gore. Who did I hear oh, that too? I, yeah, I did read that too. I, and 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 we'll get to that in a second. Wait, 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 turned down a boxing fight? Boxing match with yeah. Frank Gore? Because it was an MMA fight, like. No, of course not. That would be even old Chael could get it done. But. I'm hoping to get some clarity from old Chael in the flesh himself oh, on right. this too. Okay. He's here this weekend. Yeah. We'll see him tonight. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping to get some clarity there. But he's fighting Deron Williams, former point guard, NBA All Star. I know him from his University of Illinois days. Uh, oh, fighting right. Illini. He that, yeah. He's fantastic, and he was a great NBA player. But he's a part owner, I think, of Fortis MMA with Safe Sahud yeah. and that whole team, and he has been training. MMA and obviously some striking for quite some time. There, I mean, it's a little bit of a freak show, but it's intriguing because you have two guys who are at the top of two different sports, yes. and there's a height advantage for one, but I would never thought I would see an all-star point guard against an all-star running back in a boxing match. I, I got to say, stage. yeah, this is the other part of the card that I, obviously I can recall the other ones I'm not, I'm not up to speed on. But what I would say is, uh, what I would say is, this has always been something I've had debates with friends. Who are the best athletes in America? 
are they NBA players or are they NBA or the NFL players? And obviously, again, there's going to be a wide dispute. Like, no one is going to say that Vince Wilfork is the best athlete. He's strong as shit and was an amazing football player, but he's, you know, almost 400 pounds. It's probably not peak athleticism in that sense per se. But, like, I told the story on, um, I think I was on, on, on Morning Combat maybe today or the other day. I, my first job out of college, like right out of college, I moved to New York City within months. And, you know, I, I didn't I, – I graduated with a philosophy degree. Like, there wasn't a lot of jobs – so I leaned on my military experience, and I got a job doing security for Cartier on Fifth Avenue. And uh, sometimes that would require me to be on the floor there, not every time. And celebrities were coming in pretty frequently, but usually what happens is, like, celebrities would have a, a person that would call ahead, and they would, everything would be, they would rush him in, and have a discreet little room. But sometimes they just walked in off the street. And I remember one time Rashid Wallace walked in off the street. And Rashid's about a, he's a seven-footer or pretty close to it. Yeah. Do you ever see him, like, a, not just a seven-footer in person, but, like, an athlete? Seven footer. Remember, he could probably run faster than you or I. Yeah. Certainly can jump higher. We've seen Shaq in person. A few yeah, times. you know what I mean. And Shaq's, you know, he's old, but you you get a real clear oh. sense. Like, dude, these are different. These are different animals completely. Yeah. And so you wonder, like, how does that match up with someone who is a little bit more accessible in terms of height, but just has explosivity, like a Frank Gore, explosivity out the ass, and all the kind of stuff that they can. I'm sure I'm gonna get I'm gonna get Bohashina Depot for that, but um, <laughs> but but you get the idea, like this incredible other kind of athleticism that's similar but different. And when the two, this is you know this wouldn't settle the debate, but it is fun to see because I've had that debate with my friends for decades, quite literally. I can't wait. I've actually had that debate too, but. Do you think it's the NFL player or do you think it's the NBA player? So I've long believed it's the NFL player, but I've I've I might be rethinking that a little bit, man. I I've gone back and forth, but I actually do lean towards the NBA player. For for what reason? A few of them. For one, it's there's 53 people on an NFL roster versus what 15 people on an NBA lineup, so it's harder to get into for an NBA player to just share numbers. If you're looking from the numbers game, that's fair. I look at it, from and it's that international, side. so it's very selective. Yes, if you look at the game of football, there's offense and there's defense and there's special teams. There's three facets. So you have guys that could play on two sides, like being special teams and defense or special teams and offense. But in the NBA, there's offense and defense to play. Like. Me, I always consider the greatest basketball player and my idol in sports growing up. I'm from Chicago. I'm biased. Is Michael Jeffrey Jordan, his airness. What always separated Jordan, if you wanted to argue of him as the greatest uh, you know, basketball player of all time versus someone you would argue is the greatest football player of the time, maybe it's Jerry Rice or maybe it's Joe Montana. At that time growing up, you can argue, obviously, Brady now. Um, but Jordan had to play both sides of the ball. You know, He was all-NBA defensive first team. He was defensive player of the year, and obviously he had all the scoring titles and the accolades from the offensive side of the ball. So you always had to be on the court at all times playing both ends of it. So I feel like um, that is a factor in two into it as well and then obviously the measurables obviously the nfl they have the combine mm -hmm. you get the bench press and the 40 and stuff like that and the nba they have their type of measurables and their version of a combine too but i feel like the litmus test for the nba player goes on beyond just what they do in february for the nfl combine i feel like there's always a test for that you have a d league now where people get sent to or if they they go to if they don't want to play college or overseas you go to the d league and you work your way up they have their own minor league system kind of like baseball has too g league g league yeah. exactly the nfl you don't have that it's college you make it or you go to the nfl or you go to the xfl the cfl or the AF if that's still around anymore mm-hmm so that adds into play as well in the numbers game as well, too. So I just think because of the few spots available and getting a litmus test for athleticism, and obviously you do see the freak shows. You see the seven-footers that, that have to bang in the inside, and now you have to be a three-point shot. You have to be able to pick and pop and shoot from the outside now if you're going to make it in the NBA. I always thought, fuck, if I'm 6'6 six, six or above, I'm going to make it in the NBA and <laughs> stuff like that. Growing up now, I would never feel that way because you can't just be 6'6". Six, six. You have to be 6'6 six, six and have freakish skills. Yeah. And I think think that that's the evolution we've seen, and that's why I cite the NBA player being the best. It's better, a fair I point. I, will, I one time was uh, I didn't have courtside seats, but I had good seats for a Wizards game, and I remember looking on the floor and John. This is the time John Wall played, and uh, John Wall was the shortest person on the on the court at the time, and he's my height, yeah. and I was like, <laughs> oh fuck, like this, you're just surrounded by the monsters at all times. But for the NFL thing, the one thing I would say is you do get a certain kind of NFL player. Like the DK Metcalf types. Oh my gosh! You know yes. the six four two forty guys, the, the tight end types. Like those those dudes, they can they're like 
CrossFit guys times 10. Oh, yeah. Oh, and I don't want to shortchange anything. The Khalil Max and stuff. Imagine if Khalil yeah, Mack, I think yeah. Sean Merriman talked about it recently, if Khalil Mack was a mixed martial arts fighter. Right. Like there Herschel are, Walker back in the day. Herschel Walker, right. No, there are players. There are people in the league right now that are far better athletes than some of the people in the NBA. I'm just going by collective numbers. Yeah, it's a fair point you make. That's a decent point. Uh, the only thing I would say, too, though, is um, the thing about football is because each position is so oddly specific, yes. it's hard to get the athleticism that I think you see with the NBA. But, you know, I've, I've, I've read this point a million times. Like, there's 32. For folks who are – there's a lot of MMA fans who don't watch sports, so I'll just make it as clear as I can. There's 32 NFL teams. Yo, let me just be very clear about this. There are not 32 good quarterbacks on earth. No. There are maybe 20. Maybe. Yeah. They can't find – they literally cannot find 32 good quarterbacks. That is how hard that position is to play. Um, but, you know, Tom Brady is hardly hitting bench press records, and he's the fucking best. So Yeah. I was actually having an NFL debate, too. I named a bunch of these young quarterbacks, the Trevor Lawrences, um, uh, like Justin me. Fields. <laughs> yeah. that, that hair of his. I'm like, dude, I have, this is how I knew I was became old. I'm like, cut your fucking hair, hippie. And then I'm like, oh, my God. He's like, uh, he's like Sunshine from Remember the Titans. I haven't seen that movie in so, so Remember long. The, the quarterback with the long hair? Oh. Is that Sunshine? Was that Sunshine? Va- the, the, the this Cal- is the, the, the Denzel's in this movie. Yes, yes, yes yeah, I know. He's the coach, yeah. 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 Um, but I was like listing a bunch of these young quarterbacks. You know, I'm, I'm a Bears fan, so obviously I, I threw Justin Fields' name in there, uh, Joe Burrow, and stuff like that. And then I threw out the name Justin Herbert. And I think Justin Herbert, just looking at his skill set, uh, I'm, I'm not putting Patrick Mahomes in this because he's already graduated, he's already elite. I'm talking about the guys drafted in the past two, three years. Mm-hmm. I think Justin Herbert has got the most potential for Hall of Fame type type career and that future mold for NFL quarterback. I, I love Justin Herbert's skill set. So who was the guy in Chicago he replaced? Because he didn't start the season. That was the big controversy, right? They all wanted oh, him because oh, they drafted Fields. Oh, Andy Dalton. Dalton, that's who it was. And then they were like, oh, we're going to start Dalton. Like, if fucking, this is your guy. Anyway, he's killing. I have not paid attention too much to Chicago's game. No I offensive watch, line. Yeah, I watch my shitty-ass team who just drives me nuts, Washington football team. Um, yeah. And, you know, we've got we got Heineke on, under center. So You have an amazing wide receiver, though. Oh, and Terry McLaurin? Yeah. Yeah, he's scary. Terry's the best. He's fucking Catches amazing. everything. It's an okay team this season, but, dude, they've been, you know. I say this is, like, this is a real thing. You can go to a bar in Washington, D.C. and be served by a bartender who has been alive long enough to both have that job and have never seen the skin, or used to be the skins, the Washington football team uh, in a Super Bowl. It, that is how long... It has been. It's 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 awful. We both have two dysfunctional franchises. I think as long as the McCaskies are still owning the Bears, we're going nowhere. And yeah, what, but dude, so they still play at Soldier Field. Yeah, dude, the, Chicago still gets busy for Soldier Field. They need to move to to not far where I grew up. I grew up in Buffalo Grove. They moved. They just bought the land for Arlington Heights. There's a racetrack there that's now abandoned. This okay. whole, whole land. Just like how the Dallas football, uh, the Dallas Cowboys, they don't play in in Dallas. They play in Arlington. Arlington. It's a suburb. Same thing for Chicago. Bring the revenue. It's right off the 53 freeway. You can get so much more money in that city, so much more accessible than going down to Soldier Field. The tailgate situation sucks. The traffic sucks. That I think they it used to be considered like a national like landmark and stuff like that, but but they haven't kept it up recently too. And they made that they renovated that whole stadium like 15 years ago. They haven't really touched it since then, mm. and it's no longer like a national landmark. You, you should see FedEx Field. Yeah, it's I've ass. heard that too. I've heard that too. I will say though, how is Allegiant? Because it looks cool. Driving it's fantastic. Yeah. I love it. It's um. It's amazing. It reminds me Can of... Can you tailgate there? Yeah. Okay. It reminds me of even... Uh, have you been to the Cardinals Stadium in Glendale, the Arizona Cardinals? No. No, no. I've not. It reminds me of like the next version, the updated version of that. Okay. I haven't been to Jerry's World in Dallas. I've been Texas. to Jerry's World. It's extremely nice, yes. We've only seen the outside of they it. They have a Victoria's Secret inside. Wow. Like, for the women wow. who want to go shopping, wow. like it has that in it. Yeah. That's knowing your audience right there. Yeah, exactly. no, seriously. Like They want to get a more diverse audience to the ballpark. The, the, I mean, yeah, that's what you do. And they, they know that, hey, the, the, the husbands are going to watch the game. The women yeah. are going to shop for the bras. Jerry didn't do it by accident. You know, he's, no, he did. He's, he, he's he smart. Did. I hate him, but he's smart. Yeah. Uh, no, the, the Bears, no offensive line. But I was going to say this, the one more note on the Washington team is the Bears, that they were smart because that one year we got to the Super Bowl and we lost to Peyton Manning, 2006, you know, uh, Lovey Smith and everything. Oh, yeah, Lovey. But who's the D coordinator? The, the Chicago fans love their legends. The D coordinator was Riverboat Ron, Ron Rivera. Was he really? The biggest mistake the Bears made was letting him go, letting him walk. He became the coach of the Panthers and everything. He should have been the next head coach of the Bears. He's a hero. He's an 85 Bear, and the, the Bears love their Chicago sports heroes. He would have been the perfect fit, defensive-minded. That He knows that city. He knows that town. He knows, he knows the blood. 
the blue collar blood of what makes the Bears the Bears, oh. and he should have been our head coach. I didn't. I didn't know they let him go. I mean, we used to have Sean McVay. We used to have all kinds of dudes who were, at the time, skins coaches, Washington football team. So we let them all rock too. I, I, that's what dysfunctional franchises do, bro. They don't identify talent. And they let it walk. So they don't. They what don't. Do? It's a violent game, but it's fun. I like it. You are, I mean, just like just like MMA and just like boxing, you know, these head-on collisions and stuff like that. Anytime you sign up for a sport where there's going to be head trauma. Bro, did you watch Ben Roethlisberger last night? <laughs> Getting up. Dude, I don't know what his brain looks like, but I'm guessing it's not going to be money when his career is up. Because God knows how much punishment he's taken. And just last night, he I don't know how many sacks he took. He was getting demolished. So they were losing 26 to 0 in the third quarter and then we went to dinner I know last night but yeah. they ended up coming back and only losing by 10 and scoring in the 20. So I didn't see yes. what happened. Only losing by 8 by right. one score. Maybe it was one score. Yeah, I didn't see what happened at the like the back half of the third quarter and the fourth quarter but he must have done some sort of heroics. Yeah. He had 3 fantasy points with 8 minutes left to go in the third quarter. He ended up finishing with 26 fantasy points. I know this cuz my buddy who I went up against uh, oh, he got you? He got me. He had Roethlisberger and Dalvin Cook. He gets so pissed off yeah. Dude, because of his fantasy. I had to stop doing fantasy because it's too real, man. You just get too bitter. I, I, <laughs> I, I was yeah. bad at it, and so it was constantly frustrating. All my college friends, we have a 14-team league, and we've been doing this for a decade now. And uh, and I'm the guy who works in sports, but obviously my focus is combat sports. Right. But they they hold it over my head every single week <laughs> if they beat me. Oh, if, he's not, if I don't make the playoffs, I don't hear the end of it. I need to win to get in the playoffs because only six teams make it this week and I'm already down 60 something I one points. time I one time this is a true story I one time was like I was so pissed at my friends I did this for a whole season I auto drafted the whole season and I actually beat two of them by just auto drafting I talk shit from an auto draft perspective against two of these guys for the entire summer it was or with the winner or whatever fucking hate Dr. Stamps David Stamps he's in first place he never wins I think he was like in surgery during the draft his whole team's auto draft he's lost one game all season <laughs> all of us are like five and seven and shit like that I hate it man that's awesome because we all spend the time to prepare like study for weeks to mock drafts Dude, and it's, it's, fantasy yeah, is brutal it's intense it's intense it's super that's why I, had to, I, I couldn't do it anymore man I'm mean, out it was too much yeah yeah, I don't even know how you really do a fantasy mixed martial arts, but I've maybe I, I feel I've, like I've played some of them. They seem fine, interesting. It, it's hard. It's hard though. Like it, it, there's too much, too much, too much unknown involved. Yeah, yeah. Usually it's just like, can you get a parlay? Yeah. You know, because it used to be like, how much could you get of the full card? You guys were, you know, I remember when the UFC did back to back to back cards on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yeah. And I remember one time, this is a true story, I got all of the fights on Thursday correct. I got all of the fights on Friday, which included was Alvarez beating uh, RDA. And then that Saturday, which was the actually big important card, I think I got like three fights right. I mean, I took a fucking dump on it. Terrible. Which, A, shows you how hard predictions are, and B, like, you just gotta, you just gotta get a small little window of success and then call that a day on MMA. It's too hard. For sure, for sure. Well, on the note of predictions, though, what do you think about the co-main and the main tomorrow? And then we'll we'll get out of there on yeah. wrapping up on uh, this fight night for That's fine. pay-per-view. Okay, so I'll say this. I've been wrong about Charles Oliveira a lot. I'm just saying that for your audience's sake. I've been yeah. wrong about Oliveira a lot. Um, I might be wrong about him here. I like Poirier in this one. I would say that I actually do believe that uh, – I, I actually think that Oliveira has more ways to win because I do – his coach, Mike Brown, or Poirier's coach, Mike Brown, was like he's got one way to win. Respectfully, and I do mean that respectfully, because I covered Mike Brown's career. Which way did Brown say his one way was one? Choking or some kind Submission, of jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Kind of and so I'm like, obviously that's a threat, but I actually think he is a threat on the feet. Maybe not so much to finish him there, but like win rounds, cause problems on the ground thereafter. Yeah, like that's a thing you have to take seriously. So uh, I also think he could wrestle Poirier potentially a little bit as well. But I'm going to go with Poirier. I just feel like uh, he's, of the two, much more battle-tested, even though obviously Oliveira's been in the trenches as well. And I think the power... I think eventually that power is going to cause problems. I don't think that Oliveira is in any way like the quitter that he sometimes has been made out to be, but I do think that under duress he loses composure in ways that, like for example, Noguera did not. And uh, I think that will make a difference in the end. I want to see what happens when Poirier attacks his body. And right. I want to see this thing totally. go to the later rounds. You know, because Oliveira's never tasted championship rounds before. He's right. never felt four and, and five. And dude, fucking, when, when did, Ola, uh, when did um, Poirier stop Gaethje in round four? Right. Dude, he's been in the fucking battles. You yes. know what I mean? And you, and you know, you can see his championship medal. And Max kind of had some moments a little bit in that fourth round as well. And then, you know, Poirier still came out and did what he did. So, um, he... Oliver is the real deal, and he is a deserving champion. I just think Poirier is his time, but we'll see. I don't know. Yeah. Do you give uh, 
Oh, Amanda do, Nunes? Do you yeah. give Juliana Payne? I mean, dude, I, I, what, let me say just, let me look. Okay, I'll just say this. MMA is fucking crazy. Yeah. And every time, every time I have thought, okay, I, I've got a beat on this now. Now I've figured out how things work. The MMA gods come down and they just jumble shit in ways you can't explain. And now you have to rethink things. Is there a case on tape or on paper that makes you convincingly believe that Juliana Pena can win? Not for me. I don't see it. That's not the case, for example, with Kayla Harrison. I could very much see her beating Amanda Nunes. Again, that's debatable, but you can see the case. I don't see it. But, dude, Amanda Nunes is as successful as can be. It's going to be hard to maintain motivation. Um, you know, uh, if she at all didn't take Pena that seriously or didn't train up to par... This is the night of Pena's life. This is another day at the office. I'm not making the case for Pena. I am making the case that people who just think that greatness has inertia in mixed martial arts, it just keeps going forever. Dude, it comes to a halt when you least expect it. My prediction, formally, is for Amanda. I am merely cautioning the audience to say that if Pena wins, yes, it would be surprising, but not altogether that insane. I have seen more insane results in my life, trust me. Shout out Chicago. I think she trains there at Elmer's. I mean, you know, I, you know, you know, she's, she's gonna... a transplant, though, right? She's not yeah. from. No, from I Chicago. think yeah, I think she spent time in like Washington, the yeah. Greater Washington area too. But uh, fuck yeah, it's, it's I, I agree. I mean, how do you not agree? Yeah, it's uh, I like the warning though. I like it, and uh, we have seen crazy things happen in this. Dude, world. I remember where I was when I saw Matt Sarah knuckle GSP into oh. the canvas. That was in Texas, right? Yeah, it was in Texas. I remember thinking, like, what in the fuck did I just do? They didn't give Matt Sarah a prayer, yeah. a yeah. prayer, and then he knuckled him inside of a round into the canvas. Dude, I'm, I've seen it. I've seen it. So go back to what happened in the forum when uh, Nunez knuckled Cyborg. Did you see that happening that way in that first round? I think I thought that uh, Amanda would win, but I didn't think she would dispatch her with yeah. ease the way she did. That was the one I was like. And the Holly Holm one, too. Like, dude, she was, I mean, she was have she made it look like it was a joke, and it's not. We know it's not a joke. But for Amanda, it kind of was. And, I, you know, again, that's what I'm saying. Like, dude, on paper, I don't really know what Juliana's path to victory. I mean, maybe she can get her down. I, I don't know. Uh, I'll, I'll just I'll just say that, like, MMA is a strange, strange thing. It's why you see guys at the top for very short reigns because it's difficult and crazy and unpredictable. It's why we love this sport, yeah. and we absolutely loved having you on the Schmozone podcast. I feel like we could have done this for another hour at least. Yeah, maybe in Tampa we can get together. We'll see how things go. 100%. We'll see you next week in yep. Tampa. Yeah. We'll, we'll continue it. Travel safe to Florida. Oh, fuck me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's a different I heard city. the weather's nice, though. State. You know what I've noticed? It's we'll warm. wrap on this. The, the drivers in Las Vegas, they're not great because you guys don't have the traffic cameras here. I think that plays a big role. The drivers in Florida, motherfucker, you are taking your life into your hands to turn right. Yeah, yeah. they're it's crazy. Insane. Yes, yeah. I no, agree. No, growing up in the Midwest, uh, Midwest drivers are good, but the West Coast, because of so many transplants and international drivers, the drivers there suck. Same thing with Florida, too. Tons of transplants there. Any state where you have transplants of drivers, you're asking for road rage, you're asking for wrecks all over the place. Yeah, and Florida also a little bit weird. That's Very, just weird. Little Very little fucking weird. weird. Episode 87 of the Schmozone Podcast, the great Luke Thomas. We are out. Oh, <laughs>